Thank you, Julie. As we begin today's message, I wanted to open with the words from our Lord from the Gospel of Matthew. Then, if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or there he is, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders, so to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. See, I have told you beforehand, so if they say to you, look, he is in the wilderness, do not go out. If they say, look, he is in the inner rooms, do not believe it. For as lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Wherever the corpse is, there vultures will gather. Beware of false prophets who will come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits." Today, we will, are going to be heeding our Lord's warning of false prophets and false Christs by looking at the book of Jude. Jude is the fourth shortest book in the New Testament after Philemon and 1st and 2nd John, and it is tucked right before the book of Revelation. Jude is often overlooked by many Christians today, and that is very sad. But the book of Jude has a very special place in my heart because my Sunday school class years ago spent months going through this single book because there is a lot to draw from in just this tiny little book. One fun thing that we used to do each week before the lesson was a Heretic of the Week video. We would go on YouTube and I would play a blatantly false uh, teacher and we would critique what he or she would be saying and that would be a way and we would point out what was false. And it was a fun and good way to grow in discernment. And here is a disclaimer for you. There is no way we are going to possibly cover everything in this single sermon. I literally had to leave out stuff in the sermon. But I do appreciate Phil giving me the opportunity to preach this one as we near the end of this 21-month sermon series on the books of the Bible. We've been in this sermon series for 21 months. Can you believe that, guys? It's amazing. And Jude serves as a word of warning for us as we near the end of the Bible, and as we continue to prepare for the return of our Lord. So, who was Jude? Jude was the half-brother of Jesus and the brother 
of James. And rather than identifying himself as the half-brother of Jesus, he identifies himself as a servant of Christ Jesus. Jude was writing the church because he was eager to talk about their common salvation. And imagine the insight that he had being so intimately close to our Lord. However, the Holy Spirit was directing Jude to direct to address the church on more urgent matters, which was the issue of false teachers, which was also known as apostates. Not to be confused with apostles, two completely separate things. Apostles good, apostates bad. Apostates, not apostles, apostates are individuals who have gone rogue from the faith, twisting and manipulating the truth. The church was still in its infancy stage, and yet apostates had crept in. Eh, we're going to keep stick with that part of the slides. And yet apostates had crept in to twist the truth and lead people astray. Truth matters to God. Because truth comes from God, truth is part of God's nature. And we got to remember, Satan hates God and aims to twist and distort the truth. One of the first recorded words of Satan is, did God really say that? Apostates have heard the truth. Quite possibly, they know the true gospel, and yet they hate it, they, and they reject it, and they twist it to suit their own desires and pleasures, to suit their own sin, and that's what makes them so very dangerous. And Jude could be known as the Acts of the Apostates. And Jude doesn't talk about doctrine, but he talks about their lives. Because what you believe about God will affect how you live. And John MacArthur says this about apostates. They are like spiritual terrorists. They are on a mission to send spiritual spiritually blow people straight to hell. So let's talk about the characteristics of apostates. Jude points this out in verse 4. For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation. Ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only master and Lord Jesus Christ. We see characteristics of apostates. They creep in to do damage. They're a lot like termites. And their condemnation has been marked out for them long ago. They're going to be judged by God. And false teaching has always been condemned in Scripture. We see they are ungodly. They have no reverence 
or love for God. And if they do have love for God, it's a false, erroneous view of God. They also use the grace of God as an excuse for sin. And they will openly celebrate their sin as well. And finally, they deny Christ as Lord and Master. I've heard some people say, Jesus is my Savior, but you don't need to submit to him as Lord. I've been hearing that a lot recently. They twist the truth about Jesus, and they are disobedient to him. So where do we see apostasy in the church today? (laughs) Where to begin? (laughs) Well, I, I drew three, only three examples um, the first example is deconstructionism, and this is a result of postmodernism. There are spiritual leaders who've influenced Christians to deconstruct their faith, taking apart their faith, taking the scriptures they like and twisting the scriptures they don't like. It's a way of gutting objective, absolute truth and embracing your own truth. And we see this in the emergent church movement. You may have heard of that. Another uh, example of false teaching are churches that embrace and celebrate sexual immorality. A popular slogan of our day is, love is love. They elevate alternative sex. Um, alternative lifestyles, they affirm people in sin and ignore God's God's word for a false view of love. And we see that with churches that have the rainbow flag in front of it. If you see a rainbow flag in, in front of a church, I can guarantee you they are not abiding by God's word. I'm going to be straight up with you. And the last glaring example we see was by a recent uh, research um, that came out by Lifeway Research, and they reported this, and I'll I'll quote, Today, three in four churchgoers, 76%, believe God wants them to prosper financially, including 43% who strongly agree. Fewer, 45%, believe that they have to do something for him in order to receive material blessings from God, with 21% strongly agreeing. Continue, quote, In the last five years, far more churchgoers are reflecting prosperity gospel teachings, including the heretical belief that material blessings are earned from God, said Scott McConnell, executive director of LifeWay Research. He goes on to say, It is possible the financial hits people have taken from inflation and the pandemic have triggered feelings of guilt for not serving God more. But scripture does not teach that kind of direct connection. The prosperity gospel has made huge inroads into believers' theology, sadly. 
And I believe that this is by way of celebrity pastors and churches and um, many contemporary Christian music artists which, who are backed by churches that teach prosperity gospel messages. And the prosperity gospel is burdensome because it creates unrealistic expectations and it is just bad news in general. And those are only three examples that we see in the modern church today. So let's move on. Jude gives us three illustrations of apostates by pointing back to the Old Testament in verses 5 through 7. Now, I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus, who saved a people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their own proper dwelling, he has kept an eternal change under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire, serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. First, uh, well, Jude reminds us that of how God has dealt with apostates in the past from the Old Testament. First, we see with rebellious Hebrews and also with fallen angels and licentious Gentiles. First, we have the rebellious Hebrews, who he says in verse 5, Jesus saved out of the land of Egypt. The pre-incarnate Christ, God the Son, delivered Egypt. Israel out of slavery. And then there's multiple instances throughout um, ex- I'm blanking on the name, Exodus and Numbers and Leviticus, people rebelling against him. And as a result of that rebellion, they died because of that. And they never made it to the promised land because they did not believe God and they sinned against him as a result of that. And we also have an illustration of fallen angels. And it could be one of three things. It could be an event not previously recorded. It could be the fall of Satan. I personally believe it's a reference to the Nephilim in Genesis 6. They moved out of their own domain and they abandoned where God had placed them and they pursued sexual immorality with women and they had children with them. And as a result, God punished them and they cast, he, he casted them into hell for rebelling against him. They knew what they were doing was wrong and they are suffering the consequences for that. And finally, the last example is the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. They were known for sexual immorality and unnatural desires, both heterosexual and homosexual lusts. And in Genesis 19, when two angels who looked like men came to Lot's house, the men of the town came to Lot's house because they wanted to get to know them. Jude is clear in the condemnation of these lusts and lifestyles. 
because it is against God, his law, and the design for mankind and creation. And something very interesting that I found in a, in a interview that um, they were doing some digging at the site of where it is believed Sodom and Gomorrah was. And there was like, like heat, former like heat signatures of like what was believed to be like nuclear radiation, like levels of what could have been like a nuclear blast. I'm like, that's amazing. You know, that was the power of God raining down, like equivalent to a nuclear blast. Like, you don't want to mess with God. Absolutely not. Next, Jude takes a look at the nature of apostates. In verses 8 through 10, it says, Yet, in a like manner, these people also, relying on their dreams, defile the flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious ones. But when the archangel Michael, contending with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses, he did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but he said, the Lord rebuke you. But these people, who, these people blaspheme all that they do not understand, and they are destroyed by all that they, like unreasoning animals, understand instinctively. Apostates claim their authority by relying on their dreams. They say they, they will say that God told them something or gave them a special revelation. And usually it will nullify what God's word has previously said. It will, they will either be making it up in their own imagination, or quite possibly it will be demonic activity going on. And be cautious when somebody tells you, God told me something, something, something. I would respond, book, chapter, and verse, please. Also, we see that apostates defiled the flesh. This means that they are unrestrained in sexual sin and sexual immorality. If you look at cult leaders and false teachers, most of them have a history of being sexually immoral, and they, have a, and they will twist the truth of God's word to justify sin and to justify the sin of their churches. And we are seeing that in many mainstream denominations today. But also, they will reject authority. They refuse to submit to Jesus as Lord. They refuse to follow the authority of Scripture, and they create their own theology based on their own dreams and dreams to suit their own agendas and sin. And then finally... And this is the most interesting one. They blaspheme the glorious ones. They are irreverent towards both God and the spiritual dimension. They believe that they can exercise power and declare judgments in the spiritual realm. But guys, that's off limits for us. An example for you was back at the beginning of the pandemic. 
an ultra-famous prosperity preacher broadcasted that he was spiritually commanding the end of the virus and that Satan had to listen to him. You can watch it on YouTube. It's actually quite hilarious. Um, the preacher showed himself to be a charlatan, a phony, and he looked completely idiotic. It did not end the pandemic. He was unable to. And on top of all of that, he was being blasphemous because he was pronouncing judgment on Satan. Let's look back at verse 9. Well, I... When, um, at verse 9 of Jude. But when the archangel, contending with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses, he did not pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, The Lord rebuke you. Which also brings up another very interesting point, a couple interesting points. The body of Moses. Satan and Michael disputed over the body of Moses. Why? Well, we don't know where the body of Moses is. I believe that God hid it to keep the Israelites from venerating it, making the body of Moses an idol. They would have believed, we don't need the pray to God. We have the body of Moses. That will help us. And churches do that today. There is a church in California that literally goes to the graves of deceased saints and will lay on their tombs believing that they can soak up the anointing of the Holy Spirit from those dead saints. That's some dark stuff. Really dark stuff. And it's a form of necromancy. The Archangel Michael sets the example for us with the spiritual realm, not pronouncing judgments, which is not in our authority, but simply stating, the Lord rebuke you, pointing it back to God. Because God is, because all authority in heaven and on earth belongs to Christ Jesus. And we have to remember that. Then, we see the progression of apostasy in verse 11. Woe to them, for they walked in the way of Cain and abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's error and perished in Korah's rebellion. Jude is making more Old Testament references to some OG apostates. The first one is Cain. False teachers walk in the way of Cain. Who was Cain? He was the son of Adam, and he was also the first murderer. He disobeyed God in how he worshipped. He wanted to worship God on his own terms. His brother Abel offered a better sacrifice, which was an animal sacrifice, while Cain only offered fruit to God. God disregarded Cain's offering, and it angered Cain to the point of killing his brother. Cain knew the truth and what God required, but it but Cain knew the truth and what God required to worship, but Cain disregarded it to worship God his own way. 
And Cain killed his brother out of hatred for the truth. And we see this today with apostasy when confronted with the truth. People will say, you're just being unloving. You're being intolerant. You hate people different than you. And after Cain, we get to Balaam. In the book of Numbers, we see that Balaam was a prophet for hire. Balaam was hired by King Balak to curse the nation of Israel. And Balaam was stopped by a talking donkey. The donkey talked him out of it, basically. But uh, Balaam didn't want to lose out on the money that was promised for doing the job. So Balaam tells King Balak, who hired him, to have the women of Moab and Midian to seduce the Israelite men into sexual sin and idolatry. That way, God would have to punish and judge Israel for their sin. So what can we learn from Balaam in connection to false teachers? Is that false teachers are in it for gain, whether it's for money or for position. It's all about what they can get out of it for themselves. And secondly, what we learn is that Balaam's error leads many astray into subsequent judgment of God. And finally, we see the final step in the, this progression of apostates, which is the perishing of Korah. Korah led a rebellion against Moses in Numbers 16. He was a Levite, he had a religious background, and he had a responsibility for taking care of the tabernacle. And he led an open rebellion against Moses by saying, all the congregation is holy. Basically what that meant was, we don't need to listen to you. We can do the job ourselves. He was rejecting the authority of Moses, and he was rejecting the God who placed Moses in that authority. So Moses put Korah to the test, and basically he said, okay, separate yourselves from us, and let's see who's right here. And what God did was he opened the ground, and the ground swallowed Korah and his whole company straight into the earth. And Korah, they, they went into the judgment of God. Korah is our warning that this is the end result for false teaching, rebellion, and apostasy towards God. Jude says, woe to them. Woe is great sorrow and distress. There is a seriousness to this. And Jude makes illustrations from the natural world to illustrate false teachers. In verses 11 through 12, they are like hidden reefs at your love feast, as you feast without fear, shepherds feeding themselves, waterless clouds swept along by winds, fruitless trees in late autumn, twice dead, uprooted, wild waves of the sea, casting up foam of their own shame, wandering stars from whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. These false teachers are like reefs 
They are like hidden rocks. They are unseen dangers in the church because they are spreading sin and false teaching. They are like shepherds who feed themselves and they don't care for their own people nor protecting them. They are very, very selfish. And these false teachers are like waterless clouds. They don't deliver on, their own pro- on the promises that they are making. It, look, and they, it looks like it's going to rain, but it doesn't rain. And also, they leave people spiritually dry and empty and dead. False teachers are like fruitless trees in autumn, twice dead, uprooted. Autumn was the last crop before the winter. And they are like a famine, not delivering food, but dead and uprooted. They're not connected to God at all. They can't produce life. And they are like wild waves of the sea. Isaiah says the wicked are like the tossing sea, tossing up dirt and mire. We see in their lives they cast up their own sin and shame. Jesus says, look at the fruit that they are producing. And finally, they are like wandering stars. They are like comets and meteors, aimlessly going nowhere, bright and flashy for a moment, but disappearing forever into the darkness. Sometimes with, we see with false teachers, they, hear, we, they, will, they will be flashy. They'll have something edgy to say, and they'll catch our attention. But just because it's edgy and flashy doesn't equate to good doesn't equate to biblical, and it disappears forever into the gloomy darkness for the final judgment. Now Jude has sharp words to illustrate the danger of the seriousness of false teaching and apostasy. After all, we got to remember truth is on the line. The character of God and Christ is at the forefront, and the souls of salvation and the salvation of people. They matter. That's why Jude is writing this letter to us. And in light of these false teachers, what can we do as believers? First of all, Jude calls us to remember. We need to remember that Scripture has promised that there would be apostasy. There would be false teachers and there would be scoffers. We can take comfort that knowing that God is still on his throne, he is still in control, and all of his promises are true, and that none of this is surprising him. He is in control. Secondly, Jude calls us, up, calls us to build ourselves up in the most holy faith, having a foundation for our faith is knowing the word of God so we can discern tr- biblical truth from unbiblical teaching. So we won't be led astray or shaken by false teachers. Jude also calls us to contend for the faith that was delivered to us once and for all. In verse 3, recognizing that scripture is complete, that we aren't receiving new revelations that forego what has already been given to us in the Bible. The Bible is complete, and it is enough. Jude also says that we need to be praying in the Holy Spirit, and we need to be praying consistently for strength and empowerment to live and to glorify Christ. 
in our daily lives and to discern truth from error and to also be keeping ourselves in the love of God. God's love is unconditional, yes, but also as his child, you can be disciplined. What Jude is saying is, don't be acting out and placing yourself in a position from, of discipline from God because God will chasten those he loves. Also, we are to wait on the mercy of the Lord, knowing that he will only tolerate evil for so long until he returns to make things right, bringing salvation to his people and making all things new, bringing heaven and earth together. But what are we to do with people who are under the deception of false teacher, false teachings? Jude gives us this insight in 22 and 23. And have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. And to others, show mercy with fear hating even the garment stained by the flesh. We get three types of people here. Those who are misled, those who are dedicated, and those who are indoctrinated. Those who are misled will doubt, and you are able to reason with them because they are weak in their indoctrination, and they are unsure of what truth is. They are open to the truth, but they are also open to error. Not firmly established on a foundation. And we are to have mercy on them, guiding them in the right direction. Then we get the dedicated. They are convinced of what they believe, and they have bought into the lies. We have to remember that we can't save them, but it is God who saves them, but we point them to the truth. God does the saving. God snatches them from the fire. And finally, we have the hardcore folks who are indoctrinated, who are committed to what they believe. And I would say this, handle them with fear, knowing that you have to get close to this toxic system that they are indoctrinated by, that you have to get close to the deception and the lies that they believe. They know their error well, and they are able to articulate it very well. And you need to be careful not to buy into it or to slip into it yourself. And it says, hating the garment stained by the flesh. That is akin to handling soiled undergarments. That is what Jude is likening these uh, false teachings to. Now, I love the book of Jude. It's a short book, but it is loaded. And we didn't even cover half of what I wanted to talk about this morning. Growing up, I always avoided this book because it is scary. God's judgment and wrath coming down it is some scary stuff. And it's a very heavy book with heavy themes. But where does the gospel shine through? 
Back in the progression of the apostates, MacArthur Point made a blinding contrast that has always resonated, that always stood out to me. While the apostates walk in the way of Cain, Jesus is the way. He shows us the way to God. And while the apostates follow the error of Balaam, Jesus is the truth. He shows us righteousness. And while apostates perish in Korah's rebellion, Jesus is the life. He gives us life with the Father by believing in him. This morning, I will say this to you. Trust in Christ today and repent of any sins that you may be holding on to, any false views and beliefs that you may be holding on to, let go of them now. Christ will keep you. Abide in him and the truth of his word. I want to close with the final words of Brother Jude. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and present to you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. Let us pray. Lord, I thank you for Jude and how you've spoken through him. I thank you for your promises and how it is true. And I thank you that you are in control and how you are keeping your people until the day of your return to make all things new. I pray that you would help us to grow in discernment, to know your truth, and to stand firm on your foundation, Lord. Lord, thank you for who you are, and thank you most of all for Christ Jesus. In your son's name we pray, amen.